0: This episode of Mountain Meister is supported by our newest sponsor, Big Agnes. For your upcoming summer adventures, go check out their top-notch quality camping tents, sleeping bags, sleeping pads, and more. And when you're ready, go to bigagnes.com. Use the code MEISTER at checkout and you'll get 20% off of anything you want.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty funny story, man. I think I'd ridden downhill maybe three or four times, you know, maybe leading up to that race.
0: That's professional downhill mountain biker Aaron Gwynn.
1: So I was wearing like jeans and a flannel shirt and my old motocross helmet and some Van shoes and uh, <laughs> just showed up and decided to give it a go.
0: Since that first race at the age of 20, he's progressed rather quickly at age 28. He's now a three-time overall World Cup champion, and he's put the U.S. back on the map in a sport that's typically dominated by Europeans. In this interview, we'll talk about what it means to have supportive parents, the difficulty of staying competitive yet passionate at the same time, and what goes on behind the scenes. But first, if you're like me, you need to know a little bit more about this sport. I'm Ben Shank. You're listening to Mountain Meister. First of all, fastest from top to bottom wins this discipline, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much uh, it's one guy at a time. It's against the clock. Um, fastest guy wins. Pretty simple.
0: And how long does a typical race take?
1: Usually uh, tracks range from about two and a half minutes to a long track would be about five minutes. So yeah, anywhere kind of in between there.
0: Okay. And uh, pitch of the course?
1: I'm um, not sure exactly it just sort of it just depends on the course as well some tracks are known for being you know really steep and pretty much have like no pedaling and other tracks have some flatter section you got to be able to sprint pretty hard so it kind of just depends on the course and, and the layout.
0: Mm-hmm. And no style points?
1: Yeah no style <laughs> points I mean it helps if you have better style you know you look cooler and I think the fans dig it more yeah you don't want to be gooned out but yeah there's uh there's no extra points for style. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. And
1: how often do you fall? Um, we try not to fall often. I, I don't seem to fall that much. I try to ride kind of, you know, you have to push your, your abilities for sure, but I try to ride within my limits and, uh, kind of find that fine line. I want to have a longer career and I want to be able to win championships and you can't do that if you're getting hurt. So I don't fall too much, but, uh, you know, it's just part of the deal. So it always happens, uh, mm-hmm. occasionally.
0: So you said at least two and a half minutes, five minutes, somewhere in there. How does, how long does it actually feel when you're doing it?
1: I guess it depends, man. Some tracks seem like they go by really quick before you know it. Um, You know, you're at the finish line. Other tracks, um, for instance, like South Africa is a track we raced a few years ago. Um, It's a little bit longer, I think around four minutes, but it has like pretty much a minute of like flat pedaling in the middle of Mm -hmm. the track, and then you've got a few more minutes to race after that. So when you pretty much get your legs and your heart rate and everything maxed out halfway through and you've got a couple more minutes to go, that track feels like it drags on forever. But, uh, yeah, it just depends on the course. Do
0: you ever lose focus while you're riding?
1: No, you try not to. I mean, it's it, race runs are an interesting thing. You know, you do practice runs. Um, usually on Fridays for us, we have practice all day. Saturday, we have more practice and qualifying. And then Sunday, we have a couple morning practice runs and race. So by the time racing comes, it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, for me, I try to have a game plan. I kind of look at the track as kind of like a puzzle. Each section is a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to dial in all the pieces, The you know, the, the the two days before the race. And so when it's time to race, you know, you kind of just put the the puzzle together and, and try to link all the sections together and do everything perfect. You have such a, I try to have such a game plan going on mm. that it keeps my mind focused during your runs because it is a little bit easy to wander and especially when nerves get involved and all that. But, um, yeah, I just try to prepare and kind of have a game plan so that when I drop in, you kind of can just go into autopilot and, uh, really focus on, on what it is that you're there to do and, and let everything else kind of sort out or be thought about, you know, when the race is over.
0: Yeah. It sounds like visualization is the key word. I remember. Uh, reading Alex Honnold's book he's a guest on this show and when he talked about before a free solo rock climb he said one of the keys is visualization Um, is that something that you use?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a combination of that, you know, just kind of in my head and also like using GoPro cameras and stuff like that in practice. So I can, uh, you know, I can watch my runs. We don't get, usually my race run is probably my 11th run or so of the whole weekend. And, you know, if it's a four and a half minute track that you've never been in, some of them, there's, there's a lot to remember, you know, there's lines on every on every section, every straightaway, you know, the difference between inches a lot of times is, you know, you missing rocks or you running over the rocks and, you know, whatever. So um, for me, line selection is a, a really big thing and kind of a, thing I feel like I'm really good at and it gives me an advantage so I I really try to remember kind of every inch of the course so a lot of that is just putting the time in. you know when you're kind of on the track stopping looking at things and then when you're off the track using the GoPro camera quite a bit so yeah definitely helps me for sure
0: so let's rewind BMX at the age of four and then motocross at 12 years old it sounds like you must have had supportive parents
1: yeah, for sure, man. I think um, I think I got into BMX. We were I used to have a lot of energy um, as a kid. Wait, my you, parents tell you me. Used to. <laughs> yeah, I guess I still do. <laughs> so we were. Uh, they used to take me to the park and push me on the swing until you know it get dark or whatever, and you know just I'd just have to go burn out energy. And one of the parks we went to, there's a BMX track right next to it. And, uh, I guess I was watching it, thought it was pretty cool. My parents were like, well, that'd be a fun way to kind of keep them active and get some energy out. And, uh, so they got me a bike. We started going to the local track at 4, and, uh, you know, I just burned myself out. So I'd come home, and I'd actually sleep through the night and everything. And, uh, yeah, it kind of started there, and we ended up traveling around to a lot of the nationals, you know, when I was 6, 7, and 8. Wow. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of jumped straight into it. So, yeah, man, my parents were always, uh, you know, big supporters, um, you know, a lot of time, a lot of traveling, a lot of money. Went into um, trying to help me kind of reach my goals as a kid and, you know, through my teenage years. And uh, yeah, that definitely kind of paved the path to uh, allow me to be successful where I am now.
0: Have have you made that money back for your parents? Uh, not, Not necessarily giving them that money, but the amount of money that was invested in you as a child. Do you think you have produced that now?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, you know, blessed to make a really good living now. And um, so that's cool. They've been able to, I think, pretty much get on top of the debt they were racking up in, in the motocross days and everything. And uh, yeah, so everything's good now, man. It's it's uh, definitely a blessing. We we struggled a little bit when I was younger, just, you know, trying to pay bills. They were willing to, to spend everything they had and give me all the time they had to, uh, you know, try to help me reach my goals. And, uh, you know, thankfully it it paid off in the form of racing and and now everything is, uh, you know, going really good, but either way, you know, it was no regrets. We got to spend a lot of good time together, you know, as a family and all that. So it was, uh, you know, it was well worth it either way.
0: Yeah. Good for them for supporting you. Although, although you might be, uh, more of an anomaly than, uh, than other riders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, there's a lot of things that you kind of can't control coming up and, uh, you know, I'm just thankful and uh, that everything kind of worked out the way it did, and mm-hmm. I was kind of one of the guys that made it.
0: So motocross, I saw you quit at 17 years of age.
1: Yeah, I quit competing at 17. I still ride today. I really enjoy it now. You know more than I ever have, really. But um, yeah, we had a couple rough years. I think 16, 17. I was getting mm-hmm. hurt a lot um, and uh, had a lot of little injuries. Had a surgery, you know, broken bones, a bunch of stuff. It seemed like the last two years I was racing, I couldn't hardly touch a bike for more than a month and I'd have another injury so it was it was tough because we were you know spending a lot of money I was a young kid you know I, I wasn't really mentally where I am now I put a lot more pressure on myself back then to you know do well at the races and you know just kind of started taking the fun out of it and the injuries kept coming and it just got to a point where it was like man I just kind of want to be normal and, and do normal things and not have this big pressure thing, you know, all the time that I'm trying to do. And uh, it was kind of unfortunate that I viewed it that way at the time. You know, I definitely don't view it that way anymore, but, it, uh, you know, it kind of lined things up for me to kind of go back into the, you know, the regular world for a couple of years, work some regular jobs and do some things. And then mountain biking mm-hmm. came along and it kind of put me in a position where it was like, I really appreciated what I had, and you know I had the drive to really try to make it happen, and uh, yeah, kind of just went after it.
0: Aren't you scared that that's going to happen to you in downhill mountain biking, though?
1: What do you mean, uh, the that, injuries?
0: No, that you are going to be disenchanted with the sport um, and and not love it anymore because of your competing
1: no no i think for me it's um i'm loving it more and more every every year to be honest it's kind of crazy i think um a lot of it just becomes with just maturing as a person maturing in my belief uh, my faith for sure is a, has been a big part of it you know i i believe that um god's gonna work everything out for my good when i'm at the races whether good result bad result you know i just show up do my best enjoy it and uh call it a day so you know I don't stress you know all the stuff like I used to when I was younger so I think just that maturity process now has is, is definitely put it in a different light I enjoy showing up I enjoy the challenge of competing Um, You know, we put in so much time and effort in the gym and training and all this stuff. It's like you do that to try to win races. So it's fun to kind of test yourself, see how much you can get out of yourself for those few minutes in a race run when it counts. And then, uh, you know, go back to kind of living a a more normal life. But I I enjoy it for sure.
0: More of our Mountain Meister interview with Aaron Gwynn coming up in a bit. But first, some exciting news. We've got Mountain Meister t-shirts If you're like me, when you go to your t-shirt drawer, you find yourself picking a certain few t-shirts for some reason or another. Well, I've done some scientific research in creating the Mountain Meister t-shirt and I figured out exactly what those reasons are. One of them is the feel of the t-shirt. You gotta make sure it's silky smooth. Another one is the clean design. And the final reason is that you need a t-shirt that matches all other colors. And those are the exact reasons why I created the Mountain Meister t-shirt the way that it is. Go check it out. It's on our website, mtnmeister.com. Oh, and the first five people to email me saying they want a Mountain Meister t-shirt, get one for $5 off. Email me, Ben, at mtnmeister.com. Now, back to our interview with Aaron Gwynn. Third place in your first competition, either... The people you were competing against aren't very good, or you were really, really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty funny story, man. I think I would ridden downhill maybe three or four times, you know, maybe leading up to that race, not racing. pretty close to the okay,
0: race, just non- ridden the bike.
1: Yeah, just riding. I was born um, a good friend of mine, Cody Warren. He's actually the guy that ended up getting me into the into downhill. He was kind of the I think he was the national champion at the time here in the U.S. Um, he was riding for haro at the time he had an extra bike and he let me borrow it kind of invited me out to come ride with him we were buddies you know a couple years before that so i was wearing like jeans and a flannel shirt and my old motocross helmet and some van shoes and uh (laughs) just showed up and decided to give it a go so yeah i didn't have any idea what i was doing i was talking to cody i was trying to sign up for the race i was like dude i don't know what class to sign up for like i don't know how this works and he was like dude just sign up for pro like you've got enough skills like you don't need a license or anything here you know just don't tell them you haven't raced before and just put pro and just kind of go for it and I was like okay so anyways I signed up for pro and uh race the race I ended up getting third and uh you know it was just a local race but there were some pretty fast dudes there and some different things so it was uh <laughs> it was kind of funny just jumping straight into it but yeah man that's just kind of how it went.
0: That's amazing. And and now, you I mean, you're the best in the world. And America, it sounds like, hasn't really been uh, too hot on the mountain biking scene since the 90s. So thanks for that.
1: Yeah, man, I'm stoked. It's cool to see everything kind of turn around. Like you said, I think it was... Uh all the big races used to be here, and then everything kind of shifted to Europe. We've got a lot of young kids now that seem like they're they're pretty motivated to get up there too. So it's uh, yeah, it's cool to see how everything's kind of grown the last few years.
0: Mm-hmm. Roommate Max, my, my roommate's name is Max, and I often before a uh, an interview I'll ask him if he has any questions. Um, and he was wondering how your love of the sport has changed uh, since it became your job. And let me just preface this by saying roommate Max is very good at a lot of different things. He's a very good skier, very good biker, uh, but I could never, ever, ever imagine him as a professional athlete because he doesn't like to make those activities that competitive. He likes them for his love of the sport, not the competition aspect. So talk to me about how your love of the sport has changed
1: right yeah I think it is a a tough balance um it was interesting with downhill for me because I I started racing like almost as soon as I started riding so they were never really separate you know I mean I um I've always really loved riding my bike um just like your roommate I'm sure I love skiing and all that but the the competing part was was tough you know for the first few years I didn't really enjoy it it was um you know more just the pressure and the like you know, you have to show up and perform. You can't just ride and, you know, just to have fun. You know, it's like you got to be serious. You got to get it done. But I kind of enjoyed that challenge. And now that I've, you know, I've been doing it for a while and I've kind of matured in my belief, as I was saying, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely stoked on it now.
0: Yeah. So I have to be honest, especially with social media on the scene now, uh, it, it does seem like you need to be rather self-centered to be a professional athlete in a lot of these outdoor sports. Um are are you at the level of popularity where like you are, you need to show off yourself a lot on social media is that part of the job?
1: Um I think it is part of the job to an extent. It depends on the person. You know everybody's different. Um some contracts I've heard are like 100% Based on social media and the contact or wow. con um, the content you can produce, like if it's skateboarding or something like that, where these guys aren't competing a lot, but footage is, you know, how they make their money. <sighs> um, for us, competitions are still the most important thing, um, so that's what we get paid for. But you know, it's starting to pop up, especially in my latest contracts, where it's like you have to do so many posts a month. Um, You have to tag certain things, you know, in your hashtags and your mentions and all that stuff. Um, So it's becoming more important for me. I think it's a a cool way just to interact with the fans, kind of keep people up to date on what what I'm up to, Mm -hmm. Um, especially since we have such a long off season. So I think that's cool. But for me, I don't get too wrapped up into it because it's like, you know, I have a life I want to live and other things I want to do and, and not constantly be on my phone and just trying to update stuff. So I, I try to, you know, just in general, maybe post like once a day, um, on my Instagram and stuff like that, just to kind of keep my fans stoked and, and kind of keep that interaction going. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it for sure, but it's something that um, you know it can be time-consuming. So I try to just manage it, you know, well and um, mm-hmm. you know and goes well.
0: Yeah, we did a, a story about a behind-the-scenes look at outdoors athletes' sponsorships. If uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, you can do that on our website or on iTunes. Um, yeah, we basically talked to a lot of professional athletes and some of the brand managers uh, to see what really goes on behind the scenes. So I'm glad you mentioned that there, that you know there are certain things in your contract that need to be done. I think that's important for everybody to know.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, I did want to say, though, you in particular, uh, your sport, you have the benefit of wearing a helmet, which means that people don't always know what you look like. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, yeah. People don't always recognize you by your face
1: yeah for sure that's that's been funny man we've had some pretty funny little like situations and stuff happen like that because people won't recognize me without a helmet on we were actually uh i was at a race a couple of years ago and um this girl she was probably i don't know 14 or 15 she was a fan of mine i didn't know it at the time but um we were at a local race she came over to the pits and was hanging out with me and my mechanic she came over and asked um you know, she just kind of was hanging out and she said, Oh, I'm I'm waiting for someone I want, I'd like to get an autograph. And I had a teammate at the time that was there with me. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. But she's looking at me like she doesn't even recognize me. I was just sitting there in casual clothes. I'd already gotten done riding. So I was just kind of hanging out. Um, so we're hanging out and, uh, eventually like, you know, half an hour goes by and she's just, you know, still kind of standing there and we're sort of chatting on and off. And, uh, (laughs) my teammate rolls into the pits and takes his helmet off and she like looks disappointed, like you're not Aaron because she never said the name (laughs) and she looks at him and she's like, Oh, I wanted Aaron's autograph. And he like looks at me. And then she looks at me and I'm like, How's it going? and she's like, You're Aaron? I'm like, Yep <laughs> And she's like, Oh man So she'd been sitting there for half an hour thinking like I was out mm-hmm. on the track riding and I was sitting right in front of her the whole time. So it was pretty funny, like I think now, you know, with the popularity I've I've had and the different things I've done, people recognize me more but, but it is funny since the majority of the time people see me in a helmet it's, uh you know, kind of different to <laughs> see weird. me in just regular clothes.
0: Yeah, that's a, one of the many benefits that a helmet provides. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, but that's why a podcast is great, an audio podcast, is because nobody really knows what I look like. Not that I'm at your level of popularity, but, uh, you know, just in case. People yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> you keep it on the DL, yeah. yeah exactly. You can say whatever you want and <laughs> right, yeah. just, go for it.
0: <laughs> but the problem is when I talk to people over the phone, then they automatically recognize my voice, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, oh, one project that I wanted to talk to you about. I'm originally from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I saw that you did a project with Audi where it, it involved the steepest street in the United States.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what they tell me. Is that,
0: is that actually the steepest street?
1: That's what I heard. Yeah, I think it's uh, Canton Avenue there. I can't remember the, the steep, you know, the grade percentage or whatever, but it's supposed to be, yeah, the steepest one in the U.S. I guess there's one sti- or street that's steeper in the world. It's in New Zealand somewhere, mm-hmm. but it was, like, in the middle of this kind of crazy, busy road, and uh, we ended up shutting down the road for, like, three days for filming, so they weren't able to do that in New Zealand, so we ended up shooting that at the one in Pittsburgh, oh. but, yeah, it was a fun project. Did you,
0: so did you have to ride up and down that?
1: No, no, just down. (laughs) On a downhill bike, I don't think I could have ridden up that thing. It was like straight up. Yeah, it was steep, man.
0: (laughs) Uh, Roommate Max would kill me, but uh, if I didn't say this, he said he's ridden up that uh, hill.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could ride up it on a cross country bike or a road bike. It's just my downhill bike is geared really tall for going downhill. So trying to pedal a massive gear up that I don't I don't know, maybe I could do it, but it'd be an effort. Uh (laughs) But a regular mountain bike with smaller gears. Yeah, no problem. Like, well, I shouldn't say no problem. But you you know, you could suffer through it.
0: (laughs) Speaking of gears. We like to get a gear recommendation from every guest that joins us on this show. Um, I'm hoping that you can give one piece of gear uh, for mountain bike super nerds, and then one piece of gear for a casual biker like myself. Do I call myself a biker or a cyclist? What's the what's the proper terminology first? Uh,
1: probably cyclist is cyclist. better. You okay. know, like sometimes people call me like, "Oh, I didn't know you were a biker," but you know <laughs> that could mean like harley dude with tassels hanging off your handlebars and stuff you know i don't know so cyclist cyclist. is probably the more correct yeah
0: okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah on the gear front um i'd say for like the general cyclist one thing that i think everybody should have as far as like a mountain biker goes you know obviously it's not the same for road biking but if you're into mountain biking, a product that's come out, you know, probably the last five years or so that that I pretty much tell everyone to get, it'll change their riding, is um, it's called a dropper seat post. And it basically just allows your seat to go, to be able to, you know, come up or go down, depending on whether you're going uphill or downhill. Because oh, wow. a lot of times, you know, you want your seat... Up, So when you're pedaling your knees and everything are in the right position. But when you aim a mountain bike downhill, you have to get back over the seat to like kind of go over the terrain and everything. So you have this seat that's like jammed up your butt pretty much the whole time and it wants to throw you over the handlebars. So now they've got a a dropper post. Um, I run a Fox um, dropper post That's a brand that I'm sponsored by. Um, same as my suspension, but um, there's a bunch of brands that make them, and basically it just puts a lever on your handlebars. You push the lever, you sit on the seat, it drops all the way down, so when you're going downhill, you can get the seat out of your way, and uh, it's a lot safer. You can go a lot faster and just basically have a lot more fun. So <laughs> for the <laughs> nice. average yeah. mountain biker, that's definitely the number one product I would recommend, whether you're on a hardtail or a you know a full-on enduro bike. You know That kind of changed the game as far as descending goes for you. Um, and then,
0: hmm,
1: on like a super geek <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, like level. something that I wouldn't even know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I ride downhill, so we're not as super geeked out as okay. like some of the cross country guys that get all crazy. I don't even know, like I'm not the best when it comes to tech stuff on the bike. I kind of just like know what I like and I run it. But, um, <laughs> trying to think. I think the one thing that I've really enjoyed the last couple of years, um, it's a it's another fox product funny but it's uh it's their new rear air shock for downhill bike um we've always run coil shocks in the past and uh now we're able to run an air shock in the and rear That and thing for me has just been like i don't know awesome like i love it i won the championship on one last year i'm riding it on my new bike um my new yt frame this year and uh, that thing has just been awesome. Like, I love the feel of it. It pedals really well. I mean, the bike just feels snappier. It sticks to the ground really good. It's kind of like the one product that's that's changed the last couple years that's been big. That And then, uh, you know, obviously going up to 650, um, 650B wheels or 27.5. But if you're a mountain bike, you know, dork, you know what I'm talking about with the wheels already. So <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, if you're into downhill, I'd say that air shock for me has been you know a really cool product that i've enjoyed the last few years
0: if you understood what aaron was talking about there we'll have links to both of those resources on our website on aaron's meister profile page mtnmeister.com. we have one final question for you aaron before you get the rest of your day on and it sounds like you've had a busy one uh we want to know who you'd like to hear next on this show
1: Um, If you guys are going to keep it more outdoor related, I'm trying to think of uh, somebody that would be cool. I think somebody that would be cool would be uh, Eli Tomac. He races uh, motocross and supercross. His dad, actually, John Tomac, uh, he's a world champion mountain biker. He's kind of one of the last great American mountain bikers. Um, But his son Eli has been winning championship on motocross and supercross. Now he races for factory Cali. Um, I trained with Johnny a few years ago, so I know him and Eli pretty well. But Eli lives in Colorado. Um, he does a lot of cycling, running, hunting—you know, kind of all that stuff at a high altitude at their ranch where they live. So I'm sure uh, you know the listeners as well as myself would probably be pretty stoked to kind of hear his take on a few things.
0: Absolutely. So if we were going to ask Eli one really deep question, something that you've been dying to ask him, but you can't—you you haven't had the courage to ask him in person—what what would you want me to ask Eli?
1: Oh, man, I don't know on that one. Um, <laughs> he's a buddy of mine, so if I really wanted to ask him something, I'd probably just call him and ask him. So I don't <laughs> okay. know if I have a specific Fair question, <laughs> but I'd be curious to know about his uh, his hunting escapades. He, he seems like he just goes out in the mountains for three or four days at a time and, and goes and tracks down some big elk. So uh-huh. I'm sure he's got some good stories from that. That would be funny.
0: Keep an ear out for a hunting story from Eli so, Aaron, how can, we, how can we watch your biking? We've talked a lot about it. How can we see it?
1: Yeah, all the World Cups are um, broadcast live through Red Bull. Uh, redbull.tv is the website, so you can watch everything online live um, from the World Cups and World Championships. Um, also through Apple TV, the Red Bull app, uh, you know, quite a few places there. So, yeah, it should be pretty easy for people to find.
0: Aaron Gwynn, you can find out more about him. His website is AaronGwynn.com. We'll also have links from everything that we discussed today at our website, MTNMeister.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Aaron.
1: Yeah, thank you guys.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode with Aaron Gwynn. Plenty more where that came from. Check out our full library of podcast episodes, MTNMeister.com. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Big Agnes. Check out their newest line of tents featuring Mountain Glow technology. It's incredible. They have integrated LED lights into the tent body, so you can turn them on and off with just the click of a button. Light up your entire tent. For 20% off of this or whatever else you want, go to BigAgnes.com. Use the code MEISTER at checkout. Finally, how about a Mountain Meister t-shirt for you? Men's and women's shirts available. The men's is charcoal, the ladies is navy. Both colors go with everything and the material is perfect for both casual and active use. Go to our website. It's right on the homepage to make your purchase. As usual, I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Till the next time you hear my voice, I'm Ben Shank. You've been listening to Mountain Meister.